Okay, welcome back, podcast friends, to another episode of First Online with Friends. There's no place like art. And boy, do I have a special treat to all of you, the Calamari Sisters. Now, I just posted a little Facebook thing that has a teaser to let people know that I'm going to be talking to them, and I got this huge response. They will not need an introduction, and you'll see what I mean. So here we are. Let's bring them on. The Calamari Sisters, Delphi and Carmella. Welcome to the show. Oh, so here we are. It's Hello. Here we are. <laughs> Hi, girls. Hi, girls. How are you? Oh, my gosh. I miss you so much. Do you? You miss me? Of course. <laughs> what is it's 10 how, years. How much do you miss me? <laughs> oh, I miss you a bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck. <laughs> and a barrel and a squeeze? <laughs> oh, did you ever play that role, friend? Oh, my God. You'd be perfect as Adelaide. I know. It's been on my bucket list, among many other things. So, girls, I have not seen you since I did that show in Philly, and I got to catch your act. And, yeah. uh, you know, that was quite a while ago. So let's use this time. I made a little biscotti. So I have a cappuccino in front of me and some, some biscotti. You know I can't well, Did cook. you bring enough to share, Miss Fran? I, well, this is a virtual little coffee clutch thing. As an <laughs> actor, uh, this is sensory detail. So I will uh, just communicate to you as we're talking that I'm having my cappuccino. And my yeah, well, and by the way, you know, girls, that I can't, I don't cook, but I, I can know, make, which I always think is so funny considering you come from an Italian family. I know one of 10 and I just did not want to learn how to cook, but I do know how to make my mother's biscotti and that's to die for. Oh, so we're going to be talking about our favorite recipes in a minute, but first. I want to find out, what have you two been up to since your show in Philly? Oh, well, I mean, a lot. We, we're still traveling the country, obviously, with our state shows. We have, oh, we have 10 of them now, more than 10 of them now, all over the, the country. With We went out to California, then we opened up Boston. You know, you were on Long Island at Studio we were, we were right in yeah. Lindenhurst. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So tell me, how do the shows evolve? I mean... Do you start with a recipe? This is somebody who doesn't know how to cook. So how do you how do you cook up these shows? So basically what happens is, I mean, first off, we got a million ideas. I mean, you're talking to some very creative people. So we come up with a basic idea of something that would make a good subject matter. For instance, we have our wedding show that you saw. We also have Oy Vey at the Calamari Sisters, where we actually have to cater a Jewish shiva. Not that that would ever yeah. happen, but it's a great idea, right? So we take this yeah. idea, and we have a, a creative team that works very closely with us. And so our main writer-director, his name is Jay Saldown. He actually writes our first draft and then brings it to the table, and we all read it through and we, you know, talk about some ideas. There's an actual script, which I'm surprised at as an audience member. It just, it seems so organic and it's just like you were just doing this on the spot. Well, you know, 
it's kind of like a blueprint. You start with that, and then you start yelping. Now, Dow. There is definitely a script. We don't always follow it, but there's a script <laughs> for sure. And, it's, and what we also do, and it was actually during that time that we first met you, Fran, is Oyve, it's the Calamari sisters, started out as sitting shiver with the Calamari sisters. And we actually did a reading of it right there at the theater that we were we were both doing shows um, that were, you were doing to your mom when we were doing the wedding show. We always test them with a reading in front of an audience. We get their feedback. We implement some of the, the feedback into the next draft. So how did you girls get this experience? Where did it come from? You're so talented. Uh, how, yeah. You know... Uh, well, Franny, first off, flattery will get you everywhere. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> um, honestly, it grew up from life experience growing up with our Italian family. Our our family for generations, you know, the matriarchs passed down their cooking techniques and all of that. But even more important is just the fun that we always had in the kitchen. You know, the kitchen is the heart of the house. So our, our, our grandma passed down stuff to our mom, passed down, and we were always in the kitchen. We we're always playing such fabulous Italian classics. Dean Martin, yeah. Rosemary Clooney, you know, some fabulous. And that's why I'm so shocked, Fran. Like, when you grew up in your Italian family, wasn't wasn't everybody always in the kitchen cooking? Oh, and, yes, and my mother used to get so mad because it was the smallest room in the house. And you know I'm one I'm you know I'm one of ten children. Everybody would be in there, and as my mother's making the sauce, the sauce would start early in the morning on Sunday, and then we'd go to mass, and then we'd come back and yeah. have the dinner. But during the course of the sauce cooking and the meatballs, and we would all be eating the dough, and she would be slapping and trying to get out of the kitchen. <laughs> and this was what I grew up. And then I I didn't think I was Italian. Just thought I'm like, oh, my family's like everybody else. And then I found out it's like, oh, people, not every culture does this. So this is my experience. And this is what, what well, then you really, have the same type of experience. I'm just amazed you, don't, you can't cook now. Well, you know what? I grew up in the 60s and 70s. So I was. Well, I was uh, did you, now your mom had a small kitchen. Did you guys have two kitchens? Did you have the kitchen downstairs and the kitchen upstairs or just one kitchen? No, we only had the one kitchen. Yeah. We yeah, had the we two. Had, we had the two. I mean, now we don't. Um, now it's. Now it's our little brother's little apartment because slack. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, how's your brother doing? Oh, uh, you know, lazy. Fine, lazy. Lazy. He loves this. He this is what he's always wanted. Just stay home. Yeah. Play video games. There's uh, that commercial going on right now where they actually use the word couch patriot, and he has gleaned onto that and won't <laughs> let it go. He says he's doing his uh, civic duty. I'm like, yeah, you've been doing your civic duty for the past. 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, family, you can't live with them and you can't no. live without them. You think the dishes in the sink get COVID the way he won't touch them. <laughs> Let me tell you. He said he's social distancing himself from the dishes. <laughs> How are you doing your show? I mean, I saw some stuff on Facebook yeah. and you were having some technical difficulties. I'm trying to be kind. I hear. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I hear it. It's very pale. We are about live events. That's what we are, and that's what we do. We adapt during this time, but we aren't technical. You know what I mean? But and and the reason we're doing it is just because it's making a difference. People are having a good time. People are saying it's a bright spot in their week. 
and I said, I told them the last time, I was like, only for you people, only because we love you so much, are we willing to fail so colossally on a weekly basis? Yeah, yeah really. It's rising to the occasion. I mean, we can look at this situation. If you open your heart and you just pass it forward, this is what you're doing, girls. Yeah. In general, I feel like with anything, life is always going to throw you punches. You got to roll with them. And it's not always easy. And you know what? In fact, sometimes it is darn well near impossible. I wasn't going to say darn, but I switched it because I'm, I'm trying to be polite on the phone. But yeah, it can be really difficult. But I find that it actually puts your focus on trying to create using the problems that you're dealing with. It gives you a whole new outlook and you can even find some new things to add to your regular routine when things get get better. Like what kind of stuff? (laughs) Well, to start off with, I am absolutely horrible at anything to do with the computer. I'm talking, I'm terrible at social media. I'm terrible with technology. You get me near anything. It's like I have this aura that just makes everything go wrong. I'm kind of forced into learning how to use these tools better, which is a good thing for anyone in the arts. That's kind of where the world of the arts is is headed. Carmela, you're hitting on something that I think is so important. And I think as artists, because we're so willing to put ourselves out there, we're willing to push the envelope. Well, yeah, we fail. And you get what vulnerable. do we do? We rise up. You get vulnerable. You show the world, and then the world says, we love you. And you go, oh, I'm allowed to be vulnerable. I'm allowed to show that I'm human. So Delphine, it's feeling from you. Carmel is uh, dominating this conversation here. That's, that's unusual. She usually does. I'm, you know why? Laughing those gums. Well, are you going to ask me, Fran, dear? Our original question, the thing that I wanted to know was, how did you know this was what he was supposed to do we it just happened and it's it's a convoluted story but like and we were doing catering together but we always integrated songs even when we were catering we would sing then we started a public access cable cooking show called mancha italiano it's on wfat for a while and somebody said make that into a stage show and so we did back in 2009 we started a stage show I didn't know that you were doing it this long. 2009, wow. a oh, decade, gosh, over yeah. a decade now. And we were only supposed to do it for three weeks. We thought, oh, we'll do it. You know, we'll see what happens. Maybe other people will want it. We were so, we were like, we'll send it off to licensing. Other people will play us. We were so excited. We become characters. But it kept running. We had a waiting list. We were sold out. Nine wow. months straight, we were sold out. And the only reason that closed was because we started getting bookings to tour to other places. A Christmas show and another show and another show. And so we just, and the, the snowball just kept getting bigger. Well, and you are celebrities because I got to tell you, I just put a little thing up on my Facebook page that said that I'm going to be chatting with the Colomari sisters uh, this week on my podcast. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe you guys are celebrities. You are. Oh. Like- People I love can't you. wait until like, I get a 
a stalker. I've just been waiting. I can't wait till I get a celebrity salary. (laughs) (laughs) That would be, and that's the other thing. We all have to travel the paths and the journeys and be where we need to be. Our show is about cooking. Our show is about Italian. Our show is about family and the importance of family. I mean, the thing with our family, our grandma minestrone was always like this. It didn't matter if you were our blood family. If you, if somebody brought a friend home or whoever, and you know, it was come sit down, have some pasta. We're about to sit down to eat. Stay. That's just what you did. You didn't turn people away because you assumed they were hungry. Everyone's always hungry. It doesn't matter. So you assume they're hungry, and that if they need to be fed, so you feed them. That's what you do. I'm taking a bite of my biscotti. I just thought I'd. There you go. <laughs> Speaking of hungry. And Exactly. And and it's in good faith, because the good faith is if you're hungry, someone will do that for you. That's just the way that we grew up. You know, in general, parents want the best for their kids. They want their kids to always be fed, be clothed, have shelter. And the arts are certainly not a stable business. You don't yeah. have that security that some nine to fivers have, per se. But in my opinion, I don't even think that nine-to-fivers have the security that they think they do. Anything can change. So I think we got a little bit of pushback. I first started going into the beauty pageant world. And Ma, you know, was a little resistant to it. She wanted, you know, me to pursue more secure things. But at the same time, she still supported us as as her children and as people. And she wanted us to, to follow our dreams and follow our hearts. So there was like this sort of clash between, oh, no, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing this because that's safer. But at the same time, they were like, oh, but this brings you joy. So there was a little bit of both. There's a little bit of both. And it kind of grounds us to where we are today with your show. Oh, it's it's our equivalent of comic life support. It's really just to try and get people some happiness, some joy, some laughter, connection, and until we can come out of this social coma. Do you know what I mean? We as humans have an animal instinct to congregate, touch and interact. Lost right now, more some more than others because of being living alone versus living with family. You know, I live with my sister, the brother downstairs. <laughs> Next. So Carmela complains all the time about certain physical touch that she no longer gets. You're about to get some physical touch right now, woman. <laughs> uh, being with your, being stuck with your sister is a blessing and a curse, let me tell you. Yeah. We wanted this show to be a way for people to have some comic relief. Make them laugh, right? Laughter is the best medicine. Have that stress relief right now. It gets real bleak for people. I'm sure. You know, we get messages uh, from people saying, thank you for doing that. I was looking forward to it all week, or this was a tough week, and that was a really bright, it was a big bright spot, and that kind of thing. People are very appreciative for it. People are very, you know, we're also doing, we have other efforts going on right now, given the given circumstances, so appreciative of those as well. So That's the only reason why we keep pushing, even with our stage shows. The things that we would hear, I heard one woman say that, you know, she came up to us at a meet and greet after the show and she said, I lost my daughter over two years ago and I haven't laughed since. And I just spent two and a half hours laughing my butt off. 
So she said something like that was so important to her. And well, the thing is, in the face of adversity, these kind of experiences are so important for people in terms of a coping mechanism. We were doing this, the same show that we met you at, um, Fran, uh, in Philadelphia. We were doing meet and greets afterwards. People take pictures, and there was a big crowd of people. And then the crowd started to part. It was like the Red Sea. And this little woman with really short, cropped white hair came through, and she grabbed my hands, and she goes, already crying she was. And she goes, I just had to meet you and say thank you because your videos on YouTube were the only thing that got me through chemo. Of course, everybody's crying at that point. But it was so lovely to me. And, as you, know, it was, you know, at that point, we were having a hard time in the run of the show, financially and physically. And, uh, and we were both, like, in our dressing room, wiping the tears away, being like, and this is why we keep going. This is why we do it. He's right there because it does make a difference. Even our silliness makes a difference. I really believe that the arts are a spiritual gift to help us to heal, to be all that we can be. You know what? changes us. Like there, there is a reason why people talk about the muse. That is that spirit that you're talking about. And then all of a sudden that divine inspiration, as they say, hits you. And suddenly it just flows through you. It's connecting to that spirit. It truly is. And the arts have always been a way for people to talk about what they're going through whether it's emotional, whether it's about uh, social, political, it doesn't matter. It's always been used as a way to get a message across, to communicate, to have catharsis, to deal with major issues. You know something, Carmela? Yeah, you're saying something that's really important. I, I totally agree with that because one of the things that the arts do is it gives us perspective, yeah. kind of forces us to see things of somebody else. That's what makes the art such a gift. Do you have, like, a song that you really love singing? A million of them. (laughs) We do. I mean, I think, and we put it in our first show, but I think Que Sera. That's what I was going to say. Que Sera is one of my favorites. Que Sera, Sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. It's so funny. It's, it really is a good message, even for right now. There are things we cannot control as hard as we want to control every aspect of our life. We can't. So it's important to realize sometimes you got to go with the flow. Sometimes whatever will be, will be. Amen. I can't say anything else after that. Yeah, absolutely. And hey, girls, I know before we wrap this up, I know the two of you have a very special project going on. Well, we um, have an ongoing effort that we're doing, because I don't know if you know this, um, friend, because we weren't at the time when we were doing the shows together. We, in addition to touring the country with our stage shows, we also are Pampered Chef consultants. Yeah, actually, it was in Long Island when we were at Lindenhurst. A woman comes up to us after the show and says, you're cooking and dancing and using kitchenware anyways. You might as well be selling Pampered Chef. And when we started to use the products, we fell in love with them. And so that's, we do that now as a sideline as well. But anyway, one of the ongoing efforts that we're doing is for every $35 someone donates, we call it adopt a nurse. And any, every $35 someone donates, we actually purchase a make-and-take jar lunch set, 
which is this brilliant little thing. It's this jar that they can put salad or soup in. The lid is a little compartment for croutons or dressing or whatever. It comes with a little side snack jar. They can put pudding or um, um, carrot sticks or whatever in, and then a fork and a spoon and a little carrying case for it. So we buy one of those for somebody. We put them in a gift bag. We put a little special note on it, and we drop these off to Mount Sinai to be taken back to the nurses and the healthcare professionals that are on the front line fighting this for us. And just as a little special, it's a, such a small token. It really is, but such a, like a little token of gratitude and a thank you. So that's our ongoing adopt-a-nurse effort. We actually just dropped off 27 of them <gasps> up to Mount Sinai yesterday. Oh, that's awesome. Twenty-seven. Yeah. The security guard from the um, ICU comes to the front desk and takes them back for us. We actually don't get to, like, give it to them ourselves or anything like that, but it's not yeah. about that. It's really just about knowing that there's going to be a bright spot in someone's otherwise crappy day. You know what I mean? Have you heard from any of the nurses? Like, do they know that you're, you're doing know. this? We, we don't attach our name to it because it, the donations are coming from so many different people. And, again, oh. it's really not about the recognition. It's just about providing a bright spot. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so we just send them back. We just send them back. We, because, you know, we know that there's no way to truly <laughs> say thank you for what these people are doing. Yeah. Anything is going to fall short. So we just figured, well, hey, you know, we love food and we know these poor people are working nonstop and all, what they're going to go to the cafeteria in a oh. hospital or to a vending machine. We're like, mm, maybe they could, you know, bring something from home, a little soul food from home. Well, girls, I promise you that the next time we get together, I will bring a batch of my mom's homemade biscotti, and we I will toast our cappuccinos together. Thank you mm-hmm. so much. It was It's so good to hear you. Oh, what's on your uh, docket for the next show? We- oh, we're doing another game night on Wednesday, Wednesday at 7, a live feed. We're doing another game night. That'll be, what's that, May 13th? And Each one has a theme and a, and a game and stuff. We sing some songs. It's a laugh riot. Do you have the tech down now? Because last time uh, no, I know. No, count on no. it. I'm no. watching YouTube videos and trying to do it better. But you know what? I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm praying to the, I'm praying to the gods of technology for them to okay. send the news for that. Well, we will get through this. Kesara, Sarah, what will be, will be. I love Help you, me. girls. Okay, that's another episode. It's a wrap. Go to my website to read more about my interview with Rita Mead, a former student of mine who is a public children's author of Edward Gets Messy, published by Simon and Schuster. Also, if you like what you hear, subscribe to the show because we have another episode coming up and you can't wait to hear who my next guest is. See you soon, folks. Stay well and stay inside.